just making the view. Making the view. Hello and welcome to the 46th episode of Rank and Review. I am your host and random Canadian, Larry Parsons. And this episode we're going to look at six films on the theme of lady killers. And we have a killer lady here to help us discuss these killer lady movies. (laughs) Her name is Susie Cook, and if that rings a bell, it's because J. Adrian Cook is one of my most common guests. And Susie happens to be married to the man. So... We're going to dish some dirt on Jeremy, and we're going to discuss six lady killer movies. As usual, you can expect spoilers for the six movies discussed, as well as profuse coarse language throughout. But uh, if you've listened this far into the podcast, I think you knew that already. Please send feedback to rankandreview at gmail.com. That's R-A-N-K-N-R-E-V-I-E-W at gmail.com. Or you could seek us out on Facebook or on iTunes. And if you were to leave a positive review for me on iTunes, that would be very helpful in getting new listeners to the show. I hope you enjoy episode 46 of Rankin Review. Because here it comes. So we are about to record the 46th episode of rank and review. That's impressive. And uh, uh, congratulations uh, to you. <laughs> thank you, Susie. Um, we have Susie Cook here with me today. That's how you, sir. Is that how you want to be credited, yeah. Susie Cook? Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm good with it. You don't have an alias you want to go. <laughs> no, Pirate if, Buttercup is. I don't need to go there. If that rings vaguely familiar, uh, that's because uh, Susie happens to be married to one of my most frequent guests, J. Adrian Cook. <laughs> he insists I call him J. Adrian. No. Cook, <laughs> It's so hard for me to not it's call gotta, him Jeremy. It's got to rip your heart out a little. Oh. I've been calling him Jeremy for over 20 years. <laughs> That's just mean. <laughs> but I'm glad that you're here because I'm guessing that because he was doing all these podcasts for me that you got force-fed. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I would like to apologize, I guess, because I bet you some of those might have been tough for you. But... No, no. Well, yes. I... At least I had the option of going to bed. Like, yeah. that was really... He's now prepping Terrible Twos 2. <laughs> oh, I know. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm aware. So again, I apologize, and I appreciate your warm presence. <laughs> <laughs> so I... we can take any opportunity to shit-talk Jeremy. <laughs> <laughs> so there's this guy I know? Right. God. <clears throat> yeah. Um, so yes, thank you for that. Um, and I believe you chose, or you get, you asked for a category or, or, yeah. or a selection, which had strong female roles. Yes. And we've landed on lady killers, is what I'm calling this. Uh huh. Okay. Because they all have ladies who who kill stuff. In yeah. Them. That's a fair thing to say. It's a fair thing. <laughs> but yeah. you were were you driven to strong female characters just as a rule? Was there a reason that you particularly wanted to, to wax that? Or? Well, it goes along with uh, my business, actually, as a body talk practitioner, right. because I'm constantly um, exploring the feminine-masculine dynamic. Right. And with a strong female lead, especially one that um, in a role that of killer, which is not our typical forte, right. um, 
it just I wanted to see where that led because these strong females are all killers. Yeah. And that's I, I, in fact, I, I think that that's one of the things we should explore when we talk about the movies is, are these good, are they heroic characters? Most of the time we're dealing with vengeance here. Yeah. Uh, and so we're cheering for them, but it's not necessarily a noble pursuit, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, and the other thing that I would look at, especially with a couple of these, is like, if we had switched the central character of this movie and it was a man, would it be different? Would it be better? Would it be worse? Interesting. Um, there's one in particular I'm going to talk to you about. Okay, great. <laughs> um, so, yeah, the six movies we're going to talk about. Uh, we're going to do two Tarantino movies this week, you guys. But I saw no real need to split up Kill Bill, Volume 1 and 2. So I think we're going to start and finish with the Kill Bills. Um, in, the, in between, we have some interesting titles. We have Princess Mononoke from Hiro Miyazaki. Uh, I hope I'm saying that right. You did beautifully. <laughs> um, we have Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, which is uh, a huge Oscar winner from about, geez, 12, 15 years ago. Oh, <laughs> don't that? ask me. I have no idea. <laughs> um, from Timir Bekmemetov, Gesundheit. Oh. Uh, Wanted, which is based off of a comic book, big sort of shoot 'em up. Mm -hmm. um, from producer Luc Besson, we have Colombiana. Mm -hmm. uh, Luc Besson sort of is one of the champions of sort of hard-ass female protagonists, so we can get behind that. Um, I'm missing one. Have I missed one? Oh my god! No, I don't think so. No, because you, you two have, kill bills. That's right. right. Yeah. <laughs> See, yeah, this is this is exactly what I try to remember them. I do. I'm like, and then the ones that kind of blend are at the bottom, and there's two of them, and we got those. So I think we're good. So yeah, <laughs> uh, those are the six ones that we're going to be looking at today. Is there anything else you want to get out of the way by way of introduction before we dive into this fray? No, okay. I think I'm good. Uh, I will say one thing quickly. I've worked in the prisons, or in, well, the prison system. I, I work at a jailhouse, a holding cell, and um, I can't really talk a lot about it, especially on the podcast, because I signed things saying that I won't. But one of the things that I was told early on when I started work there is that you got to keep an eye on all of the intakes, all of the prisoners. Anybody who's coming in out of the cells, they're there for reasons that are not good, so they're going to be act reacting strangely. But I was always told to especially watch the ladies. I don't know, like, and again, I'm not going to point any fingers, I'm not accusing anybody of sexism, and my personal witnessing things bared this out to be true, but as a rule, from a psychological standpoint, by the time people get into the cell, most of the guys realize they've been caught, and they're not going to talk or scream their way out of it. A lot of the ladies, I'm not going to say all, a lot of the ladies are pure venom and vitriol from the second they get there to in the cell and afterwards. They refuse to relent. Some people will say this is a, you know, positive thing, the fact that they've got real gumption. But uh, when you're working a night shift, listening to somebody scream endlessly for eight hours about the great injustice of them being incarcerated for being drunk and beating someone up. But... What I wanted to say is that it's true. It, from my personal observation, yeah, we've dealt with some real bad dudes. But on a case-for-case -case basis, the ladies tend to be more sour than the dudes. <laughs> I could not agree with you more, Larry. <laughs> I, I'm going to offend somebody with this one. Wow. But women are hairless, honorless men. <laughs> you take away those two things, you got a woman. Because the honor piece is just so huge. We don't have that shit. 
you guys have a code. Nuh-uh. <laughs> uh, there are no rules. There are no, you know, don't stab your best friend in the back. We're going to do that to each other. The person, the female we love the most, we're going to be mean. At some point. At some point. If they have something we want, sorry, bitch. <laughs> so as, as horrifying as it is or isn't, the expression bros before hoes has no female equivalent. No. No, it really doesn't. I mean, it takes a lot of willpower to keep it above board with the women. Wow. Yeah. Well, I'm going to choose not to comment on that because <laughs> I want to preserve my marriage. But <laughs> well, um, I think that there's a lot of truth in what you're saying, Susie. <laughs> yes. One tick to Tokyo, please. One more. That woman deserves her revenge. And we deserve to die. No kidding, I heard it was kind of hard. Silly Caucasian girl likes to play with samurai swords. Yeah. Any more subordinates for me to kill? Hi. So, congratulations. Um, this is the first Quentin Tarantino movie that has been reviewed on, on my show. We've talked about Tarantino, and we did uh, From Dust Till Dawn, which he wrote, but this is, I think, the first twin Quentin Tarantino joint that we're going to review. And, I guess, the second, <laughs> because oh. uh, Kill Bill was divided in two. Lucky me. <laughs> yes, lucky you. <laughs> well, that's one of the many interesting things about Kill Bill is that... Uh, what decisions, and uh, unless we can get access to Tarantino's brain, we can only guess, uh, were made uh, through art and what through commerce. Uh, I know that originally Kill Bill was going to be one movie, and then all of a sudden it was two movies, and now almost over a decade after they've been made, there's rumblings that there might somehow be a third. I think that the, the, the part one and two of Kill Bill are tonally different enough to sort of justify their individual chapters but this is one story yes so how necessary that was well we'll discuss um the basic bare threads of the story is the bride as played by uma thurman is <laughs> killed is well shot in the head and basically everyone else in her wedding party is killed and put into a coma she wakes up, she's found she's lost all of her family, she's lost the, the child that she was carrying, or at least so she thinks at this time. Uh, she awakes and she decides that she needs to vet some vengeance out on those responsible. And uh, we see very early in the movie, she's got a, a hit list that she actually wrote out in bright marker, just in case she gets pulled over by the police and there's any vagueness on what she's up to. <laughs> uh, and what we see is largely her getting the first two names crossed off the list. That's Kill Bill Volume 1. I'm interested to hear what you have to say. <laughs> really? Well, um, uh, <laughs> I, it's so hard to pick somewhere to start. Um, okay, I was actually excited to watch Kill Bills because I hadn't seen them before. Okay. So I knew there was a lot of talk when they first came out, and I was like, meh. Yeah. Now... I have a problem with gore. Which is going to hurt you in this, this one. This is going to hurt me, and I knew that. So, But I've made some progress in a lot of other areas. I wanted to see how the gore factor was doing. Um, but uh, um, it life is gory. And that's really the, the messiness of life. 
has really been sort of becoming much more okay. So the gore just didn't bother me as much. I was really um, pleased with that. <laughs> um, the whole movie, it makes me laugh because um, there's so many things. The only thing that I, when I mentioned Kill Bill, I think Pussy Wagon. This is, <laughs> this is the thing. I am so repulsed and it pleases me greatly that that existed yeah. <laughs> in this movie. I got to say the Pussy Wagon and the guy who belongs to it one of my biggest problems of the whole movie. Exactly. It's <laughs> repulsive. And yet, the pussy wagon itself is such a great the vehicle. The fact that she would be driving the yes. pussy wagon is kind of funny and almost heroic. Yes. But the origin story of that is classic, ugly Tarantino. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think we talked about it actually when we talked about From Dust Till Dawn. There's this huge monologue, pussy, 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 where Cheech Moran just yeah. yells the word pussy for about three straight minutes, essentially. And it stops being funny after about five seconds, and it starts being annoying after about 30, and you still have two and a half minutes to go, right? Uh-huh. And uh, Tarantino really seems to think that this harsh humor is awesome. He loves racist humor. He loves, like, really, he likes shock humor. And... That was really kind of cool in a way when we first got into the world of Tarantino because we hadn't seen it before. This deep into his career, we've seen it before. And when we're given a blow-by-blow instruction about how to rape a coma victim for laughs... <laughs> See, I couldn't do that. I could not do that. I saw this movie in the theater and people were howling through that scene. This is hilarious. I don't think it's funny. I don't think it's even a little bit funny. I don't think it's like brave. I don't think it's ironic. I don't think it I don't think it's anything but horrible. And it's just uh, another ugly ingredient to make this already very ugly movie more ugly. <laughs> I thank you for that, Larry, um, because there's so much out there right now about rape culture. And I used to get incredibly offended if somebody would laugh about anything to do with a man forcing a woman to do anything. And again, life is messy. I sat in a room full of women, um, let's say eight women, and one person put up their hand when the question was asked, how many of you have been sexually assaulted? Or haven't been, have not have been. Have not been. One. one, one of them in the room. Right. Like, what does that speak to? And what it, it's just something, it's, it happens all the time. I don't like saying that it's okay, it's not okay, but what are we trying to work through? I'm not, I'm not here to take the brush out of a person's hand. I'm not saying that you're not allowed to write that. I'm not saying that, that that you're necessarily the devil for laughing at it, but I think that Tarantino's already been to this well, well enough. This is just old hat. How can I offend people this this time? And the fact that a lot of the people don't sort of think that, wow, I can't believe you went there, that's not what they're laughing. They're not laughing because it's uncomfortable. They're laughing because they think it's hilarious that it's necessary to explain to someone to not punch the coma victim they're raping in the face. Because if that wasn't mentioned, that probably would have happened, right? <laughs> Good lord. Now, I don't want to derail the whole review with this because we can go right down oh, the dark alley here. Oh yeah, we could. Here. We totally could. Uh, and like I say, I, 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 am I a hypocrite for putting up with him spouting nigger, nigger, nigger in all of his earlier movies and, and being less bothered by that than I am by this? I don't know. It's the presentation of it. And I remember being in the theater and hearing the people laughing and going, geez, I don't know, you guys. I don't know. 
Uh, and I do think it is being played for laughed. I think like the guy, the, the actor is hammering out that Tarantino dialogue. And oh, they did beautifully with it. Like they took it and they really embodied that. Like well done to them. Because <laughs> if they had any issues with it, you could not tell. But the the piece I guess I want to get to is Tarantino is out to push your buttons yeah. at the at every turn. Yeah. Like you are squirming. At one point or another in these movies, because yeah. you're not comfortable with what's happening. Now, having living living with a man that does this every day of my life, I've become a little desensitized to it. <laughs> okay. But uh, it it really there's a place for that humor. Yeah, there is a place for it to call attention to the fact that you shouldn't be laughing. Yeah, I don't think that's Tarantino's I'm point. Not saying, no. <laughs> I'm not even but, saying you can't make a funny rape joke, and that in of itself is a controversial statement. <laughs> yeah. But I, I, I'm, not, I'm not even going to say that you can't make a funny rape joke. I'm saying this wasn't that. Fair enough. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, what it also does establish is sort of the trend of the movie in that she's going to be facing off against evil and she's going to be killing the shit out of it. And one of the great payoffs is that the two assholes that we spent all this time talking about are almost immediately <laughs> brutally dispatched by the bride and no tears are shed. No, I, I have to say that, that I was almost violently ill during that scene. Like, let me just clarify that. I was like... You know, things were not good with me. I was quite upset by it. But it does establish, and this runs through even to Kill Bill Volume 2, the sort of thing where they're not going to pull back for you. They're not going to spare showing you this guy's lip being peeled off or the Achilles heel being sliced open. We're going to show you everything. In fact, by the end of Kill Bill Volume 1, you're going to need to be wearing a raincoat (laughs) because it gets pretty messy. But when you're talking about Quentin Tarantino sort of almost need to keep the audience slightly uncomfortable what that does is it gives real tension and suspense to things sometimes when they don't even really deserve it but because you don't know what's going to happen next you got to wait through so you'll put up with the 10 pages of dialogue which in other movies we wouldn't yeah but i don't think that that always works for him but he is a good writer that's the real painful thing about tarantino he's a very good writer so we have this fisticuffs between the bride and this first woman on her list in this suburban house and it's a full-out balls-out action scene and the fight looks brutal and real but the tension doesn't even arrive in the scene until we see a school bus pull out outside and a little girl get off the bus and walks in into the house the tension in that scene and like that whole sequence okay you're forgiven for the for the coma rape scene (laughs) i did not like that coma scene at all i did not like it at all and uh this made up for it. (laughs) Um, And I think what I'm touching on is sort of where I end up with Kill Bill. There are scenes in Kill Bill that I think are fucking amazing. Fucking amazing! Yes! And there are scenes that are absolutely terrible. And I don't know how to make peace with them. (laughs) Again, it's that dichotomy, right? That he's just pulling you apart. Yeah. Making you squirm, making you uncomfortable, even in your inability to decide whether you actually like the fucking movie or not. It's also kind of going towards this, uh, the feel of the first half of Kill Bill, Kill Bill Volume 1, is sort of very Eastern, uh, you know, (sighs) sort of... A samurai warrior type of film. You can you can categorize it like that because yeah. it jumped way more genres than that. Yeah, but but the first half is very sort of interested in, in the noble warrior. You know, she she they they spend like a good thirty minutes of the film with her getting her sword. 
you know, uh, and and you know the honor and the dignity and the revel, uh, almost religious approach that they have to this this instrument of death, um, and the the fact that there is a, an, almost a, a poetic standoff between her and Oren Ishii before their final st sword fight that they give each other a chance to speak before they have this fight to the death. There's a, a strange formality to it. By the time we get to the next movie, it's all Wild West, right? Yeah. Uh, this is this is not that. And well, I, see, <laughs> I find it funny that you describe her getting the sword as this noble thing. She fucking guilted him into it. <laughs> she's got no honor. <laughs> she has no honor. Well, she's not about honor. It's, no. It, so <laughs> that, it's not a noble quest. It's about how can I make this guy give me what I want? That's all it is. And she just knew what buttons. She knew how to play it from yeah. the get-go. This, this is the... She started out asking. And then she basically gave him a reason to do it. And she treated him respectfully, even though she didn't have to. He's basically making this sword, breaking his own vow... To correct a mistake he made, which was training Bill. And and so that she doesn't kill him, because that's there too. Mm -hmm. There's a constant threat of her. Yeah. And he knows that he won't win. <laughs> and He can make swords, he maybe not can use them as well. Yeah. yeah. No, the, I took that whole thing a little differently, because, yeah. yeah, sure... Bill's the, the Bill's the problem, and yeah, yeah. I felt reverence a little bit with the swords. I didn't believe that she was a threat to this man. I really mm, didn't. Okay. I guess I, that we the saw the sword, before. yes, reverence. The men, no. Not so much. She has no respect for men. None. Zero, zero. Well, maybe if I'd spent several years being raped while in a coma, I would probably be right there with her. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. The... Uh, Big climax of this movie uh, is the showdown at this uh, huge club. Uh, it almost is absurd. Like, the level of violence that we're treated to is... I, I can't even adequately describe it. The closest thing I can come to is Dead Alive, Peter Jackson's New Zealand zombie movie. As far as the fact people are sliding around on the floor. Fountains of blood. People are cut in half. People get their head cut off and their body wobbles around while a fountain of blood shoots out. And it's not particularly handled realistically. But it really is entertaining. It is for a while. And then it just gets lame. He just... Tarantino does like to beat a dead horse. A lot. Well, she's got 99 bodyguards. And the bride kills all of them, and we see it in a pretty uh, amazing sequence. And I think that one of the boldest and smartest choices that he made about this is about after the first couple of kills, we do a zoom in on the bride's eye, and she blinks, and everything goes black and white. And for the next five minutes, everything's in black and white. Yep. And then we snap back into color for the last few big battles. And I honestly think that's the difference for me. I think I would be agreeing with you 100% if we saw that red crimson blood fountain smearing all over the place for those full 10 minutes but for some reason just switching it to black and white made it instantly more palatable palatable and made the silliness somehow seem justified <laughs> really because i found that um switching to black and white that's when the leave it to beaver stuff so that's the juxtaposition i saw in there was with the 1950s television which you couldn't do this. You couldn't. It was all nicey-nice, here's these perfect little families. And that's the juxtaposition with rampaging 
you know, woman killing all these guys in a style, in a genre, that's Leave it to Beaver. See, I didn't get the Leave it to Beaver, I guess. I didn't see any people representing high values at all anywhere in the movie. (laughs) It was more in just... The aesthetic? The aesthetic. That's, I really paid attention to all of the genre changes as we went through. And he just, oh, Tarantino packed every genre he loves. I don't know, even the ones he hated into these movies. (laughs) Like, it's just, it felt like this platform. Here's everything I love, all in one movie. Yeah, Uh, well, well, that's Tarantino, though. I've said it before. He just takes movies that he loves, puts them in a blender, and sort of reformats them. I still think he's talented. Yes! But uh, he's a remix artist Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways. Yes. Um... Yeah, I don't know. It reminded me, I know I couldn't think of a more different movie than this, but uh, I reviewed a little while ago Schindler's List. Uh-huh. And, like, that movie is just mercilessly violent. It's merciless. But because it's in black and white, it's somehow made it easier for me to take in. I think if I'd seen that three-hour thing in, 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 in living color, I would just need a barf bag for some reason. Really? That black and white gave me a layer of separation that I can, okay, I can I can watch this and, and I can put up with this. That totally makes sense. I get that same thing with the new TVs with the sick, the higher hertz on them. Right. Where you look, you, it feels like you're in the room with them. Yeah. And so that's just the le- a lesser level. Yeah. You're so much further away because it's in black and white and we don't, our world is not black and white. It makes it unreal. Instantly by cha- by taking away the color. Yeah. Anyway, by the end of this, uh, she's got two people off of the list, and there's more people to be crossed off the list. But I guess I can't adequately finish my review until we talk about Kill Bill Volume Two. Is there anything else you want to say about Volume One before we move on? Um, I do actually. There's uh, definitely. Oh, I was just by the end of it, I was just sort of, kind of getting blasé to her whole story, and that's. And it just felt like um, an elaborate dance, and we just still didn't really know why any of this was happening. Like, what the fuck is the point? Mm-hmm. And then that's when he springs the daughter. Yeah. In the last scene, right? And I was just like, oh, now this is the only reason to come back. The only reason I would have to go see Kill Bill 2. Other than you have to do Larry's dumbass podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking of going to the theater because so many, and yeah, so it was just the daughter at the end that I was just like, come on. We are, it is revealed to us that her daughter is still alive and being raised by the titular Bill. Yes, and she is unaware of this yet. Uh, But she will presumably find out because there's still three more names on the list and Bill is the last. Um, Yeah, I think I'm going to reserve any more comments until we get on to part two, but... uh, I don't know. I I can't say don't watch Kill Bill, but I have a like I have a hard time getting enthusiastic about it either. I say you're gonna get a reaction out of it. I couldn't predict what that reaction. Not would. at all. Now watch closely, everyone. I'm going to show you how to kill a god. Fire! your fate however you can rise to meet it if you choose so i'm not sure how familiar you are with studio ghibli or heo miyazaki 
I love him. You do. <laughs> so I don't think we'll be too far apart necessarily. Uh, Princess Mononoke is kind of considered this filmmaker's masterpiece. I don't know that it is, but a lot of people say that it is. I'm in agreement with you. Um, I would tend towards Spirited Away personally. It's so much better. But uh, I still think that Princess Mononoke is gorgeous and like beautifully rendered. <laughs> a cool and story that is simultaneously familiar and yet new. Like all of the elements here we've seen before, but not in this world, not in this sort of canvas. Yeah. So it's it's strange because it's familiar and yet completely distinct. So uh, yeah, I'm I'm a fan <laughs> of Princess Mononoke. Um, the main character is Ashita, Ashitaka. 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 It's, it sounds like a shit talker. <laughs> he's a shit talker. Well, he's pretty badass actually, because when we meet him, he is defending his entire village from this uh, forest demon, swarming with bugs and worms. And uh, there's a very impressive battle in which our hero is victorious, but he's badly wounded, and the wound comes with uh, a curse, and uh, actually a lot of uh, negative repercussions. Thanks to him saving the village, he is now banished from that village. <laughs> he must go west, find what caused this rot in this this old god that made it go mad, and hopefully find a cure for his own curse. And so off he sets, and sort of a series of adventures beset him. Um, when we finally sort of get to the main action of the plot, it sounds like you're very, very familiar sort of Fern Gully versus Bulldozers type of place right you've got the spirit world in the the forest and the gods and in, in, in the wild and the iron town which is actually referred to as iron town at least in the dub mm-hmm. of people building and basically they're not given good good white hat black hat good guy bad guy they are treated as these are two powerful entities that are trying to live in the same place and cannot <laughs> so whose side you're on in a given scene can change and uh, sort of where the good and where the evil comes from in the story can change from a different scene. And for a movie that is fully animated, to be this rich and complex makes it a special film. Absolutely. <laughs> so I have officially just blown all over this movie. <laughs> <laughs> so I apologize. Uh, I hope I didn't color your position, but uh, please, Susie, what did you think of Princess Mononoke? <laughs> Be well, advised, our friendship is at stake. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have uh, watched this many times. So watching it in this new way, with just trying to critique it a little, mm-hmm. um, as opposed to just sitting down to enjoy it, because this is one of my biggest things, is I'm like, I don't want to look at technique. I just want to enjoy the movie. <laughs> Stop thinking so much. Yeah. My husband's pretty bad for that. So, <laughs> and uh, so this is my first time like, wow, okay. I'm just seeing all these new things. Um, I love the pace of it. He's so good. The fact that um, the things in the background don't have uh, outlines, but the things in the foreground, your attention is drawn to them because they have outlines. And you can do that with animation. You know it's important because it has an outline. Like, it's just subtle things like that that let you focus on the story and not the background, yeah. which is beautiful. You could, you could watch this movie with the sound off, but yeah. you shouldn't. No, but... <laughs> but you could. It is that you beautiful. You could. And this is cell animation. I, well, I don't think I made that clear. This is not 
computer animation. You know, the characters are drawn a frame at a time, and some of the action is very, very impressive. And there's no lag to it. It's got a sort of smooth and ferocity to the action sequences that make you in it. Like you stop thinking about it as an animated film pretty quickly. At least I did. Yeah, absolutely. I honestly, I typed up notes um, as I was watching these movies, but in this one, I was afraid to type anything because I was so riveted, and I knew that I might miss something because it just packs so much into every moment of the movie you are riveted by it until the end for me oh yeah third it, act kind of kills you a little bit it something in there like i said i've seen this many times the ending this time because i was paying attention for a different reason it was like i don't think i've ever seen this <laughs> like that's what it felt like and i'm like oh this ending is so feels so not important to the movie. Well, I, I don't know. I think that the because they had familiar archetypes but are using them in an unfamiliar way, they kind of couldn't wrap it up. In a way, they're not saying that good has triumphed over evil or that it will. It's basically saying this will go on to varying degrees forever. Yeah. <laughs> right? And that's not a very satisfying put-a-bow-on-it ending, but it's complex and it's rich and it's adult. And I, I appreciated that. Um the villain character, I guess the closest one we could call to the villain is Lady Eboshi. Eboshi? Yeah. Yeah. Um, in the uh, English language one, she's voiced by Minnie Driver. Yeah. But uh, she actually sets out to hunt down and kill a forest god, right? So you figure, villain, right? She represents Irontown. But the thing is, is that I don't completely hate that character. You can't. She's protecting the women. She, she loves her women. Men she has, couldn't... This is a compare here, um, but I found a lot of themes that all of the women we're going to be talking about hate men. Yeah, well, I'm not sure if you <laughs> noticed that, but they all do. But they all have reason to. It's not. They're it's not blaming just born them, into it. you know. But we have choice. Yeah. I have choice. I am not at the mercy of men. Yeah. I have choice. I can blame a man for a lot of things in my life, but it's not true. I can blame my dad. I can blame Jeremy. I can do a lot of that stuff, but it's not true. I have choice. I chose to put myself in these positions of being subservient and just doing as I'm told. It's, you know, and that's the thing we blame. Her character is not subservient. She is the prime ass kicker of the movie. In fact, the two most powerful characters in the movie are both women. Absolutely, and that's the thing. But they both hate men. They have had to both overcome the man, so to speak. Yeah, but in the case of Sam, the Claire Danes voices her, she's sort of she was raised by the wolves in the nature. She is of that world. So, of course, she plays for that team. That yeah. makes sense, right? Yeah. Uh, it's motivated. But I was saying about the mini driver character or the lady Iboshi, we expect her to fall. I spent the whole movie waiting for her death because she'd set herself up as that character. She doesn't come away clean. I believe she loses an arm out of the deal. And she comes goes back to her town, still in charge, sort of piecing things back together, saying, I will continue to lead, and I will try to do better, and this will go on. <laughs> the fact that it's not stamped, finished, everything's done, you know, uh, I think it, it, it's a compliment to the movie. Oh, I can is. understand people finding it less satisfying than seeing good punished by evil, which we see, arguably, I guess, again and again. In this again series. and again. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. It, I also think the format of the animation, it's, it's <sighs> like... They didn't just choose to make this an animated movie. It almost 
could only be an animated movie. The rendering of that forest creature, I don't know, maybe they would CGI it or they would build some elaborate puppet, but I can't imagine it being as powerful <laughs> as it is in this movie. Those little creatures, I don't know what they're called, but they have these round bobbly heads. The Kadomo. Kadomos. Kadoma, yeah. I don't know how you would realize that other than animation. First time I saw this, they creeped me out so badly. Oh my God, I was like, get them away. Who thinks these are cute? Yeah, they're, they're, they're these little creatures, I guess, uh, if you haven't seen they're like tiny, maybe like the size of a mushroom or a smurf or something, and they make a little rattling sound and they shake their little bespotted heads. Yeah, they turn their heads upside down and then they snap back with the rattle. No, it's not wholesome at all. <laughs> I found something really sort of magical and creepy. Well, I guess edging on creepy about them but like I, I, I liked it it was such a strong choice and it, to describe it to someone it seems like madness but when you see it in the movie it's just gorgeous I, I agree with you there too it's still creepy <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, one thing that I did note uh, is that when there's the height of Princess Mononoke's son and Lady Eboshi and both of them see each other with hatred and anger there is and they are matched yeah. in that and nothing good comes of that nothing good could possibly come of that type of anger and hatred right. um in that at all and that's the piece of it it's gotten so twisted at that point that there's no you i knew at that point there cannot be a solution here that wins because there's no neutrality at all it's not possible right Controversial question? Yeah. Would we like or dislike these two main female characters? And I'm talking here about uh, sort of Lady Boshi and San, if they were men. Same scenario, same story, but it was like a dude who was in the forest being the ultimate hunter and a dude raised by wolves defending his territory. Would that change the spice for you significantly? I'm not sure. I think we would like Lady Boshi less, and we would like San more. I honestly do. Yeah? <laughs> because I think that yeah. their roles would be more clearly defined. Absolutely. Man raised by nature, man raised by, you know, politics or, or whatever. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think the fact that there are women made us want to like them more. I don't know if that's fair, but I kind of think that, that it's again, there. Again, pulling on my background here, that's totally part of what a woman is instinctively trying to do, is be protected and liked, yeah. but not be perfect, mm -hmm. because perfection brings the ire of other women. Oh, and it's also a myth. Yeah, <laughs> but being, but ap even appearing too perfect. Yeah. Other women will hate you for it. Yeah. So you don't want that either, so you want to have clear flaws... And but be likable enough to get have the protection of the men around you. This is totally an evolutionary caveman thing. <laughs> <laughs> and you hit the nail on the head that you're absolutely right on what would happen with those two characters if they were men. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I I I still think it would be a cool movie and everything like that. But I think that the the sides would be less gray. There would be a very definitive good and a very definitive bad. And, that's that's the way I look at it. Maybe I'm. <laughs> yeah. Um, I love me some Princess Mononoke. Yeah. Um, I think it's interesting that our main character, Ashitkika, Ashitaka, Ashitaka, a shit talker would be actually a really good name too. <laughs> um, it's interesting because he is our protagonist. It seems like for the first half of the movie, and then he becomes kind of a witness. He's a witness to the whole thing. That's the whole point. It's yeah. his. The story he's telling. 
mm-hmm. right? It's from seemingly from his perspective, everything is happening. That the male at the center of the movie, aside from a selfish goal to get this cure, this curse cured from I don't, him. I don't, I disagree. They told him when he left his village that he was going to die. His dying act would be to save right. the forest. Well, but like, and hopefully, hopefully himself, but like he has, a, he has his own personal quest. Yes. He bumps into this on his quest, right? Yeah. Um, but it's interesting. He's a witness to the action. He is not an instigator of it. And typically, if you got a man in the center of the movie, he is the guy who instigates the action, right? He is, yeah. he is, he's the guy out on revenge to, you know, get those evil people what killed his kids. Or yeah, whatever. but he's sitting there going, no, no, calm down, ladies. He's the one That's guy who really... sees both sides and says, you're not completely wrong. You're not completely wrong, but you got to meet in the middle. And yeah. you're not doing it. <laughs> yeah. And Lady Eboshi didn't, was never going to side with him. She actually says the line in the movie, remember, we can't trust men. Yeah. Lady Eboshi says that. Yeah. Not San. <laughs> we can't trust men. There's a, like, I can't, it was just like, she really said that. She actually said that. Just laid Ho- it out there. Yeah. Like, holy shit. No, that's not true. But what the fuck? <laughs> Hey, I don't have to agree with you 100% of the time, but I appreciate it. If you lay those opinions (laughs) bare, at least I know where I stand. Mrs. Zoe Saldana's been doing very well for herself <laughs> in Hollywood. Um, and she is a pretty cool lady killer under this sort of branch of lady killer. Uh, she's hitched herself to the, to the uh, Star Trek franchise, and she's hitched herself to Guardians of the Galaxy. So happily, she doesn't need to make a sequel to Columbiana. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't agree more. <laughs> um, the thing is, is that the best thing that this movie has going for it is Zoe Saldana. <laughs> I think that she's really awesome in it. She gives a good performance and she's very sexy and I believe her for the most part as sort of an ass-kicking lady killer. But when I talked earlier about does this film distinguish itself in any way, if if it wasn't Zoe Saldana playing Catalina, this, this woman who uh, witnessed her parents being killed in front of her as a child and went on a lifelong quest for vengeance, if it was a dude... This would just be another action movie. Yep. And that's what it is. If I'm honest with you and with, with myself, Columbiana is just another action movie. There is nothing to distinguish it other than a really strong performance by Zoe Saldana. But if it was, I don't know, fucking who's a good action star of the day, isn't it now? <laughs> I don't even know. <laughs> Jason Statham could, 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 could carry okay. of this premise, right? We would have just dismissed it as... Oh, really? He witnessed his parents being killed as a child, so he dedicated his life to becoming an assassin so he could figure out who was responsible and kill them? Yum! But because this is Zoe Saldana, because Luke Besson 
produced it, all of a sudden it's very distinguished, you know. It, 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 I don't know. I think in this day and age, having a strong central female character just ain't enough. No. <laughs> and that seemed to be what this was bringing to the bank. We got a strong female character. People will love us. <laughs> um, that said, I don't hate the movie. It just, it's just, it's a flavorless mint. Like... <laughs> Yes, bland. It's just a little bland. Yeah. So, do you want to go through the plot now instead of seven minutes? I kind of did, right? Oh, did you go through all... Did, she witnesses... Did she witnesses, Yeah. Isn't that the plot? She witnesses her parents? And then a lifelong quest, and yeah, she gets them in the end. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. It costs her Sorry. everything. Everybody yeah. that she cares about dies. Is, is Even the right plot review lost me. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's how bland this is. <laughs> it is just a retelling of the professional, as far as I can tell. Yeah. Just throwing a few different, you know, very variables but it's just the same story and if you like the professional stick with that because it was better well even this director olivier megaton did one of the transporter porter no nope. <laughs> <laughs> transporter movies and uh has recently seen great success with the taken movies starring liam neeson and he he's efficient enough at handling act action you know it's not badly executed in that respect it does suffer from a flaw that I, I, I think that a lot of, quote, lady killer movies suffer from, especially when your lead is so slender and small. When it gets to the, the gunfights and the explosions, that's fine. But when it gets to the physical hand-to-hand fisticuffs, when I see a 90-pound woman fighting a 280-pound guy, I just don't believe that she'll throw fist into him that's going to make him break through that wall, right? The math doesn't work. No. She can look tough and badass, but if the dude she's fighting is three times her weight, her best hit is not going to slow him down, right? Nope. Um, that's just that's just a hard fact. And even if it was like a male lead, you know, it's sort of like a video game when you get to the boss at the end of the level, right? That boss is not just going to, you know, get tapped out with a few punches to the face. He's tough. Um, there's a few times like that when it was a physical showdown where I was a little bit, I don't know. I, I suffer with this in the Resident Evil movies all the time with uh, Mia, Mila Hohovich. She's like this tiny, tiny girl and she punches a dude and he goes flying across the room, right? And just the physics doesn't make sense. And I think that there's a few scenes in Columbiana that is definitely guilty of that. I would agree with that. I and I look at what I, you know, everything I wrote down, I'm like, no, these are all just plot points. It didn't actually make me feel anything. Mm-hmm. I was rooting for her for a while, and by the end, I wasn't, because she fucked up. And, you know... She learned no lessons. Yeah. like <laughs> This the, path is going to do nothing but hurt you. She found that out early, but she continued. <laughs> yeah. Like, there's nothing... She didn't grow as a character like I wanted her to. Like, that's a key piece in a movie. Your main character has to have growth. Not just everybody dies. So I'm going to go start new somewhere else. That is not growth. And we're going to have this sort of... we'll, We'll talk about it when we talk about Crouching Tiger too. But this stubbornness and reticence being confused with strength. Oh, yes. She's going to kill the people who killed her parents. The end. Fuck what you have to say about it, right? I get it. I mean, she took it personally. Her parents were killed in front of her. But she ends up tethering herself. Her father figure basically dedicates his life to turning her into this killer. And even he knows it's wrong. But she doesn't even acknowledge it until 
that man has been killed. And even then, she presses on. Yeah. <laughs> so she doesn't learn anything. She doesn't grow. She like, accepts no responsibility for her own actions and her own choices. Um, and again, would we be looking for that if it was, you know, a dude? Would it just be okay for him to be this one tract of mind? I must kill the people who killed my parents. Would we be expecting that of a male figure? I don't know. Possibly. Uh, possibly. But I honestly, it as bland as this story is, it would just get blander if yeah. there was a man in that role. Well, we do have a, 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 a girlfriend role here. Michael Varton plays her love interest that she constantly lies to and is sort of appears and disappears from his life. And his role in the movie and his character and his position in the story is about as pointless as any girlfriend in any action movie. He doesn't even need to be rescued. <laughs> like, nope. He's just pointless. He's somebody for her to have sex with and then ignore her. <laughs> and, I mean, if that's if, if that's progress, that now we write roles for men that are just as shitty as the roles we used to write for women, I don't know where we've landed, people. <laughs> but, uh, I don't know. So... In the end, it was well executed, and in the you know final scenes where she gets her revenge, animal cr- cruelty wins the day. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> really? Well, elucidate. And how does animal <laughs> cruelty play into this? <laughs> well, when you have your dogs trained to kill and eat on demand, whatever meat is around. Mm-hmm. There's been some unhappy times for those animals. Mm-hmm. There has been some, like, to train an animal to eat a live human. That takes practice. <laughs> and for that to be a heroic thing. <laughs> yeah, like, uh, no, no. There's a, center, it, uh, a, a significant <laughs> sequence in the movie where she pretends to be all drunken out of it and smashes into a police car and is put into a prison cell so that she can execute a assassination. And I hate to be this guy making these notes in this obviously sort of loud and dumb action movie, but I've worked in cells, okay? I've worked in a prison cell. So there's cameras everywhere. They might not be monitoring her every movement, but <laughs> there's no way there's going to be a vent in the cell that any person could fit through or a vent, period, in the cell. And if it was, uh, the second anything bad went on in the building, all of the video footage would be pulled and they would know, oh, it was her, <laughs> you know? Like, it's a cool looking, but very dumb sequence. Ugh. And like, again, it was like, almost, but not quite. I kept on feeling that throughout this movie. This movie's almost good, but not quite. Not quite. <laughs> I mean, I think it was well executed for an action movie. I think that there was enough love put into it by somebody to make it at least look pretty mm-hmm. most of the time. Now, I, you know, there was the comment in the movie, you know, she's just that invisible. And then a rocket launcher goes off, which made me laugh out loud. But, <laughs> I mean, if I have to pick out that moment yeah. as the highlight of the movie, we're not talking really high on yeah. the overall. It's images that stick with me more than anything else in this movie. A lot of them involving Zoe Saldana. <laughs> <laughs> There's a scene of her silhouette swimming under this pool, and it's right next to a, a shark that is swimming. This guy is so rich and badass that he has a pet shark. And she's so badass that she will swim through the pool with the shark just to get to him, right? Um, but it, it was a cool shot. 
Yeah. But kind of a dumb idea. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is, it's full of cool shots. And let's just string them together with some tenuous plot and we've got a movie, right? This will yeah. sell. Yeah. Because Zoe Zaldana is hot. Yeah. Well, and that's, I think, the other unfortunate thing because they're, it's not unfortunate that she's hot, but she is like unbelievably sexualized throughout this entire movie in a way that you rarely see even out of Jason Statham. They will find ways for him to have a fight scene with his shirt off every movie. At least once that will happen. But the the camera just loves sliding up and down her figure. And I get it. I get it. <laughs> but if we're taking forward steps and making her a strong female protagonist, does she need to be this sexualized at every frame? No. She doesn't need to. I mean, no, it's, it's it's easy on the eyes. Yeah. It's like, again, am I complaining? No. I mean, do, do I want her to be wearing, like, uh, I don't know, hospital scrubs the whole movie? Probably not. But she is very heavily sexualized in a way a man in this role probably wouldn't be. Not that, that you know, muscly guys <laughs> punching people out aren't, aren't sexy to some people, but uh, it, it's just not the same thing. Nope. <laughs> you know, they, they don't cut to... I don't know, Jean-Claude Van Damme just, <laughs> I don't know, punching a bag in the backyard, sweating over his manly muscles, you know, and the camera just having a scene dedicated just to that. I mean, you don't see it. You don't see nope. it. But Zoe, we're going to see her practice her little yoga routine and prance about in her underwear. <laughs> so, so thanks for that. This is the mind-numbing black hole I call a job. And this is me, Wesley Gibson. Nobody. Like everybody else, I just keep waiting for a lotto ticket out of my boring existence and into a life that means something. I knew your father. My father died the week I was born. Your father died yesterday on the rooftop of the Metropolitan Building. He was one of the greatest assassins who ever lived. Then the other one is behind you. I thought he'd be taller. Shoot the wings off the flies. You're insane. Insanity is coasting through life in a miserable existence when you have a cage lying locked inside. I really think you have me mixed up with somebody else. So once again, we're going to talk about Timur Bekmembetov. Um, I, I, I uh, recently reviewed a movie of his called Daywatch. He did a couple. He did, one was Nightwatch, one was Daywatch in, uh, in Germany. And they are visually astounding movies. And they're telling fairly, fairly rich stories based off of a series of novels. Um, they are so astoundingly uh, well produced that Hollywood noticed. And they brought Timur overseas to do some big budget Hollywood movies. Of which he has done two so far. This movie we're about to talk about called Wanted and another modern classic called Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. What I will say about Wanted, which does carry over from Daywatch and Nightwatch, is that it is visually unfucking believable. <laughs> like it. it is as a as a sheer spectacle, it is a feat. It is amazingly like in a special effects standpoint Wow, stuff that shouldn't be photoreal, that can't be photoreal, <laughs> looks photoreal in this movie. It's so pretty! No matter how stupid, and it gets profoundly stupid, no matter how stupid shit gets, you believe the world that they are presenting to you. Thus ends anything positive I have to say 
about Wanted. Oh, that's really unfortunate. <laughs> I'm such an Angelina Jolie fangirl that this a movie has to go so horribly wrong for me to actually not like it if it has Angelina Jolie in it. Don't get me wrong. Angelina Jolie is completely hot in this movie and completely convincing as this like uber killer. It's based off of a comic book, but they made some substantial changes. But I think that you'll understand a little bit more about the craziness of the movie when you know what those changes were. In the comic books, basically, all of the supervillains, because supervillains exist, have eradicated superheroes. So we have a world owned by supervillains, but they still don't get along with each other. So this whole agents of fate, this whole super crazy, super powerful snipers, assassins, basically measure the balance. It's evil balancing evil in a lot of ways. What they did here is just remove the supervillain element of it. They have the powers of superheroes inexplicably, but they're supposedly just normal folk like you or I who can bend bullets and uh, fly and defy gravity. Um, so it's a ridiculous and openly ridiculous world, so I should be able to just go with it and have fun. And superficially, I guess I can. I can say it's got a beginning, middle, and end. But I really felt like I needed afterwards to watch like My Dinner with Andre or read something just to apologize to my brain. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. The number of times that WTF appears in my notes <laughs> is rather high. <laughs> But uh, I have said it a few times in the podcast in the past. There are movies that I would refer to as sound off movies, where you could like <laughs> you could play your favorite album, or you could be doing some sort of passive, doing your taxes or something like this, you know, passive, and have it on in the background and look up and go, "Ooh, pretty," because it really is, it really is pretty. Um, but it's also stupid, <laughs> isn't it? Am I wrong about that? No, you're not. I mean, <laughs> my God, I mean my. <laughs> There's a couple of lines in here that I... <laughs> so so at the end of the movie, I'm just going to skip there because the rest of it's kind of a gong show. Um, but uh, at the end of the movie, there's a call to action to take care of your life and stop treating yourself like shit. And in my head, I added the note, but you better have superpowers yeah. because that's the only fucking way he did it. Yeah, that's the last fuck you of the movie. That's the movie waving a big middle finger at you at the very end. Oh. Uh, I will back up to the beginning, but yeah. I'm at sorry. the end, after our hero has made the journey from uh, abused office drone to super sleek assassin, he basically looks into the camera, breaks the wall at the audience and says, what the fuck have you done with your life? Hey, you know, like, I've clearly just been wasting my life not killing people left and right and not just having, like, just waiting for the day that somebody shows up and says, oh, by the way, you're a millionaire and you have inherent superpowers. Yeah. Because what a dick, what a dick way to end the movie. Well, like, yes, I mean, that's totally the whole thing of it. This is a new twist on an old fairy tale. <laughs> this is the princess being rescued from the tower, yeah. right? He's the princess. He's being <laughs> rescued and coming into his inheritance. It's just a big twist on that. There's the, and the link between the weavers and the assassins, the way they presented it in the movie, is tenuous at best. <laughs> oh my God. I mean, I get the Loom of Fate. I've always thought that mythology is really cool, but wow, did they fuck with it? <laughs> Not knowing that there's this whole other, the, the comic, uh, piece of it and the pieces that they cut out because that that makes it better but 
Well, oh. and this is the frustrating thing about movies of this sort of scale and spectacle, because they have a really, really capable cast here. James McAvoy is our lead. I've always found him very likable and engaging on screen. He often plays sons of bitches, but somehow we like him because he's James McAvoy, you know? He can walk that fine line. Uh, Angelina Jolie represents our lady killer, <gasps> and she is badass, and she is dreamy, you know? And, and she is the exception to my... Women are honorless men. Right. And honorless, hairless men. She has honor. She yeah. is actually the only one that has honor. Given the what you just shared about the comic book, though, yeah. that's where that's coming from, is she is the anomaly. Yeah. Um, and in all of this, which is where um, the piece that I was like, okay, this is sh- her men thing that I was looking for, that theme throughout everything. And like, no, she not just, there. not there. It's just like, this is right. She's got that right and wrong line that, you know, most women kind of blur. And we don't live in a world where people were born with inherent superpowers to kill people. <laughs> and maybe if you were, then that, what are you going to do? What are you talking about? I totally have that. <laughs> my, my, my gifts are inherently that I'm an amazing killer, then I guess I, I would be doing a disservice to myself if I wasn't the best damn super assassin I could be. Right? Uh, I, I don't know. Um, I did like her character, Fox, in that, like, you understand her as a recruiting tool. Right? Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> this amazingly beautiful, like, from another planet <laughs> person shows up and says, I'm going to change your life. And everything about her and how she behaves makes you believe it, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know? Uh, interesting, kind of before he was super famous, small role from Chris Pratt. In this movie, I don't know if you caught him. He was the uh, he, he. Of course, he starred in Guardians of the Galaxy, but uh, right. he was the best friend that was sleeping with uh, McAvoy's no! girlfriend. Yeah, gets his teeth knocked out early on. God, I loved that scene. <laughs> oh, I loved the wireless keyboard to the face. Yeah. The number of times I've had that fantasy myself on anybody in the office. Really. Yeah. <sighs> so seven minutes into the review, I'm going to talk about the plot just really quickly. Yeah. Oh, sure. <laughs> James McAvoy hates his life. Basically, he, he works a job where nobody respects him, and he eats shit, and he has to deal with it. And uh, suddenly, Angelina Jolie shows up in his life, says, By the way, your dad was a super assassin. He died earlier today, and you are going to inherit all of his money and all of his skill set. It's just how it works. And uh, it's hard, hard to take that in, but it all proves out to be true. There's a very elaborate chase sequence uh, where it seems like someone's trying to assassinate him, and uh, the plot gets more and more convoluted. But basically, he gets taken into this super-secret covert realm of assassin, is trained to be an assassin, and is assigned to bring down the person who killed his father. That's basically the structure of this story. Yep. I just wanted to get that out there in case there was somebody listening who didn't know what the fuck we were talking about. Yeah, fair. Um, and the, what, like I said at the beginning of the review, when he gets his revenge on his scheming best buddy and sleeping with his girl, not only does he smash him over the face with a wireless keyboard, but the keyboard explodes and we see the loose keys of the word fuck you spell out in the sky and we see two teeth perfectly flying out of Chris Pratt's mouth. There's another scene where he fires a, a, a bullet to get rid of one of his, his most hated enemies. And among all the various places it passes through, it passes through a donut, which is about to be consumed by his old boss, just as she's about to eat it. Like, he worked that into his strategy before he pulled the trigger on the bullet, right? It looks amazing, but it is stupid. 
Like, it is stupid. It was entertaining, and I have to go there. This is where... The, that's the place I watch these well, movies. And I want... I really did want to like it because of... Like, there's just some irrational things in my brain. And at the end of it, I was annoyed. But a week later, I was like, I'd watch that again. Well, and here's the thing. I have stupid movies on my shelf. You know why? Because sometimes I'm in the mood to watch something stupid. But, uh, you know, I don't think this one distinguishes itself other than the fact, the scale of, like, the special effects. You know, I will watch Constantine for the fifth time because I know it's not a great movie, but I enjoy it, right? I will, you know, I I have guilty pleasure movies, but, and this could be one for a lot of people. uh, So I don't want to say don't watch it, but I do want to prepare anybody who is going to watch it for the scale of the lunacy that you're this might as well have been an animated movie because of how ridiculous it is yeah um i mean my final note and that i is i shouldn't have to work this hard to convince myself that a plot is plausible (laughs) no you just gotta roll the punches in this movie this is not a this is not a story movie this really isn't it's it's like we're going to flip a car over top of another car. In midair, he's going to shoot a bullet into the open sunroof to assassinate the guy, right? Like, <laughs> like <laughs> we're not going to pretend that this is real world. But again, if you're going to go that far over the edge, just go all out and be animated. There's a scene where Angelina Jolie opens the passenger door of her car, spins in a U, and actually like consumes the McAvoy character into the car spins out and keeps driving all in one fluid shot i know it's animated but like it looks crazy like i like it, it hurts my head that i know they managed to accomplish it that seamlessly absolutely and in my head i'm like where the fuck are the broken legs you're gonna have broken legs if that happens to you yeah. she's not i'm like and then you know we get into the superpowers piece which i'm like oh well if there were superpowers maybe but then i'm like hmm there's lots of other movies I love that should have had broken legs and like, you know, The Princess Bride, say, yeah. should have had many broken limbs, but they didn't. And I'm not emotionally connected. Uh, right before the film waves the big middle finger and says, what have you been doing to your li- with your life to us? A major villain is slow motion <laughs> shot through the head with a bullet. And I felt nothing. Nope. Actually kind of annoyed. <laughs> more, than, more than nothing. Yeah. I'm like, really? That's it? What the fuck? Yeah. So, yeah. That's where I end on the movie. What the fuck? I mean, th- this could be an award-winning <laughs> what the fuck film. <laughs> but, I mean, again, if you are if you want to set your mind on stupid and watch a fast, crazy action movie, this is that. And but Angelina Jolie is cute. She is. She's, she's an attractive person. I'm not sure that she wasn't maybe born, like, in another planet or, or grown in a lab somewhere. But uh, she is impressive. <laughs> she's a lady killer. In a land of eternal beauty and infinite mystery, a legend was born. The story of a warrior. The woman he loved. A daring outlaw. a princess destined to become a warrior. So Ang Lee 
is a really interesting filmmaker, I think. Um, he doesn't hit it out of the park every time. I mean, I'm not in love with all of his work, but when I look at his like category, I'm like there's no two movies alike here. We're looking at a guy who directed movies like um, The Ice Storm and Life of Pi and Hulk and this movie that we're going to discuss here, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. And basically the only thing they have in common is that they're all very visually astoundingly well-made movies and um, the stories are, are very disparate. This is an interesting one in that it kind of brought this uh, kind of this style of sort of magical samurai <laughs> Asian world to this side of the ocean. <laughs> it popularized it in a way that it had not been before. And I understand why. <laughs> the wire work and the, uh, the martial arts and the fight choreography is amazing. <laughs> it mean, is really amazing. amazing. Like, yeah. I can't overstate how amazing <laughs> some of the action sequences in. And the movie is beautiful. I think uh, where we run into problems, if we can call this problems, is that this is actually an adaptation of the fifth book in a six-book series, <laughs> and we're sort of thrown into the middle of it. And I think there's a lot of stuff that would be even richer for, for us if we understood the background leading up to this. So I will plead a little bit of ignorance about the befores and afters, and all of the sort of different conduits that are sort of feeding into the story before we get to it. But when I'm reviewing a movie, I have to kind of review this movie as it is as I'm sitting here seeing it right now. So, much like when I said with, with Wanted, when I was like, this is visually amazing, it's like absolutely astounding, please watch it. There's also threads to it that I find kind of frustrating. Um, I don't think it sinks the movie at all. In fact, I think this movie is going to rank very high on the list. But... People are so like enthusiastic about heaping praise and loving on this movie that I think a lot of people give a pass to a very, very serious plot problem. And I'm wondering if you don't aren't going to anticipate what that plot problem is. Um, before I throw the ball into your court, though, I will attempt at least a bit of a plot synopsis. It's a fairly convoluted story, so it's kind of That's hard. the word for it, convoluted. It, it's kind of hard to distill it into the into a few words, but basically the our, our main character that we're following through here, uh, Zhang Zia Zhang, I don't know how to say her name. Uh, Jen Yu is the character that she plays. She's been taken under the wing of this very powerful sorceress villain character who's a wonderful, very memorable villain called Jade Fox. You really hate this girl's early, and you can't wait to see her get her comeuppance. Like, she's bad news. But she's super powerful, and she rocks it as a villain. Um, but our, our protagonist, Jen Yu, is very powerful. She's got innate skills. Again, going back to Wanted, she's just like, she's put on this earth to kick ass. She is unbelievably powerful. But she is also undeniably a child. So she's constantly getting this war of influence. People want to help her. People want to guide her. And her position is, fuck you, don't do what you told me. Right? <laughs> that's, not, that's not how I play. So basically that's what it is. It's this character bouncing from one would-be mentor to another. And seeing if she's going to land on the side of the light or the side of the dark. I mean, there's more to it than that, but I think as far as a synopsis, that's where I'm going to leave it. Um, Susie, what do you think of Crouching Tiger? 
so in love with how pretty this is. Absolutely. Love watching it. Now, uh, when I first started going to university, I went to the midnight shows at Place Royale. Where, yes. where they showed all kinds of those old martial arts movies. So all of the wire work, all of that was not new to me. The fight scenes were not new to me. Right. To see them this pretty was fucking amazing. Yeah. Um, so I love it for that. Now... I'm not a fast reader, right. so subtitles, which is what I saw it in the first couple of times, I couldn't keep up. Oh, I got right. tired from the reading. I'm a big and, believer in subtitles personally, but different strokes, different folks. Yeah, and it's just because I don't read that fast. I don't get the gist of it enough to know what the fuck is going on. So I get tired right. of it, and it bores me. So this is the first time I've seen it Done. with a voiceover. Now... That's not Chow Young Fat's voice. (laughs) And that bothered, I'm like, "Ah, ah." I do think you lose a lot of severe fields in it. Like, even in the Miyazaki one, in in, uh, Princess Mononoke, you can watch an English language dub which has like Billy Bob Thornton and Billy Crudup and Claire Danes. And I will always take the subtitles, even in an animated movie. I feel like it's closer to the original vision uh, the director had for the film. That's what it looks like, and this is what it's supposed to sound like, right? It's not It's not their fault I don't speak their language, so yeah. if I have to read the dialogue, that's on me. Yeah, and <laughs> I'm gonna. it's going to lose me right. if I have to read the dialogue really quickly. Right. Um, but that's just me. It's not that I don't like reading, I just don't do it quickly, so yeah. it's got to be fucking important. Right. So... Um, so this is my first time viewing it where I actually was present for the whole movie. I usually, I would lose it sort of at the bamboo fight in the trees. Right. And this time I was able to really experience that. And I was like, this is even prettier than I thought, Mm -hmm. than I wanted it to be. The end of the movie just blew me away this time because I wasn't in that tired state. Um, I really love this movie i think there's some pieces of it that go on a little too long like the desert sequence i was like there is a in the middle of the movie about a 35 minute flashback which just tells us how uh goodness keep on saying jen Yu sort of meets her 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 love interest uh who fixes back into the story later on but they stop everything to give us this this flashback. And it goes on too long. Yeah. We could have just known that they fell in love and that would have been good enough for me right. to, to keep the story going. But I think there's a little bit of uh, respect there to um, the genre it's coming from. They're going for spectacle and grandeur. Like yeah. They could do that story with a plot point, a piece of dialogue, but no, they're going to show us those you know vast desert landscapes and that sort of love cave and whatnot. Yeah. <laughs> But when I started off, I said that there was a, a fairly troubling flaw in the movie. Can, do, you, do you know what I'm talking about? No, I have no is? idea. Okay. Well, this is controversial. I've, I've gotten fights. Maybe you lost friends over this. <laughs> Jen Yu, our main protagonist. Z is played by Z-I-Y-I Zhang is her name. Um, I don't like her. I don't sympathize with her plight. She is... A difficult, belligerent child through the whole movie. And everybody who tries to help her is deeply hurt or killed as a result. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I guess that's where we differ. Right. She's not my main concern in the movie. She's a side. I care about Li Mubai and Shulian. Yeah. Those are, that's why I'm invested in it. 
it's their story mm -hmm. that's just what they're trying to do. And in the end, when Li Mu Bai dies trying to help this girl, and but it's at that point at the end of his life that he finally, he's got to enlightenment and that's he realized that's not what he's looking for. Mm -hmm. And he came back because love is more important. And that's their story is actually the part that teaches um, the main character, the main character, Jen <laughs> Yu, about love. Yeah, and that. But what does she take from that lesson? She takes it, and she's she feels unworthy for the first time in her life, undeserving. And then she takes her own life because of it, which is just stupid. Which is unfucking believable. <laughs> It is unfucking. I'm sorry. At the end of the movie, <laughs> at the end of the movie, these two people. You're right. Who we care about more because they do the right thing. They're on a force of good. They know that she's been manipulated by Jade Fox into stealing this token at the beginning of the movie. They catch her, but they don't punish her. They say, "You're being manipulated. Let us help you." She says, "Fuck you. I won't do what you told me." <laughs> the only person she even pretends to listen to is the the. Like, clearly evil Jade Fox. Like, she can barely not sneer while she talks. She's just festering full of evil. But for some reason, our, our protagonist trusts her. But then she breaks out, and she's going to be on her, on her own. And she's going to make her own choices. And what does she do? She goes to a bar, and they bring up the fact that she knows the Chow Young Fat character. Um, Lee Mubai. Lee Bai, thank you. And uh, she says, no, I'm hell, he's my defeated enemy. That's what she says to the guys at the bar, and then they they all get their backs up. And they, what are you talking about? And to prove that she's defeated this guy, which, by the way, she hasn't, she proceeds to beat the shit out of everybody in the restaurant. Everybody in the bar. She destroys the place. She's a kid! But that's my point. She is an angry, like, child through the whole movie. At no point, at no point am I given a reason to like her. Okay. At no point. At no point are you really... It takes a rare 16-year-old girl for anyone to like her. <laughs> even herself. Mm -hmm. So this... I guess I was her. I get her. She has the potential to change. The fact that her nursemaid is writhing with evil and she still thinks that she has a choice, that stro shows her strength right there. Even though she's confused and a bitch. The whole flashback in the desert. It's not about her falling in love with that dude. It's about him taking something that belonged to her. Yes, but... A comb. I Mine! Know. Mine! Mine! Yes! Hello! I hate her. I hate her. <laughs> you hate I hate her. And I'm sorry, if it, was a, <laughs> if it was a male character in the center of the movie, you would hate him. That's because 16-year-old males don't do that shit. Did we... But if they did, we wouldn't be asked to accept it. No. She's supposed to be... When she dies, when she jumps off that mountain at the end, everything in the movie is telling us that this is a strong emotional moment. And what it's telling me is that she learned nothing and continued to learn nothing. Because with the death of Chow Yun-Fat's character, as you said, he learned too late. Achieving inner peace wasn't the goal, life goal. Being with this woman who was next to him, who he loved his entire life, was the thing to do. And so she sees that brave sexual, she sees that revelation, and she says, here's the man who's wanted to be with me this whole time. And this guy gave his life and lost the chance to be with the woman he loved to give me this opportunity. And I'm going to choose to fucking kill myself. <laughs> I was like, good. 
the golf clap as you fall off the mountain. And as an emotional impact for your main character committing suicide, that's not what the movie was going for. Eh, I didn't have a much emotional... I was pretty much calling her names at that point, too. But I was a 16-year-old girl. I fucking get it. Yeah. There's not much rational going on up here. Sorry. Like, most of the time, it just... Ugh, it's impossible to be an, around... Or to be a 16-year-old girl. It's hard. You are constantly in that... This is an externalization of how insane I was at 16. <laughs> but is all forgiven then because you're 16? Is there a reason we are supposed to like this girl other than she's pretty? No. She hates herself at the end. That's why she kills herself. Yeah. She hates what she has done. She has seen it. She hates herself so much that she does not wish herself... Upon the man she loves. She's she, unworthy of it. She doesn't deserve it. She doesn't deserve it. She knows she doesn't deserve it. And that's it. Now, had she waited five minutes, she would have realized... Changed her mind. She would have changed her mind. But... <laughs> <laughs> and realized that forgiveness is also available to her, even though she's been a bitch for 16 years. I don't know. If I thought or the movie was two. an examination on the fact that all teenage girls are insane... I don't think that's what it is. But no, if I thought it's that's, not. If, that, if that's what they were going for, if they were saying that people go through a phase of crazy in their teen years, then fine. But that's not what they were attempting. No, that's not what they were attempting, but we're holding a child accountable for the actions in her life where she is privileged, where she has had everything given to her and been influenced strongly by an evil woman. She, at the end, she finds her way clear. Clear enough to not wish herself upon the world anymore because she is all of those things that you're saying she is. <laughs> well, I mean, it seems like you both simultaneously agree and disagree with Absolutely, me. I do. Because <laughs> uh, I found her so frustrating and I found like the sacrifice, the tragic story, which works completely emotionally for me, like uh, Michelle Yeoh just breaks my heart when, you know, they come back with the, with the antidote to this poison that her lover is dying from and it's been too late. And uh, she doesn't look at the girl, but she basically gives her a pass. Yes, this happened. It can't be undone. Okay, she she almost doesn't give her a pass. Let's be clear. She's, there's a, she's upset, clearly. <laughs> there, there's a moment in which she decides she doesn't want to be that person. But she's had a couple of years to mm -hmm. figure that shit out and to stay her hand. But And it is kind of interesting because Jen actually drops to her knees and would be willing to accept a sword across her head. Like, you take my head if this is going to make you feel better at this point. I get that. And the fact that she gave her that option, I, I guess, is a noble thing for her to have done at that point. But again, she doesn't kill her, so she just goes and kills herself. It, you know, we get a double tragedy at the end of this movie. And again, I kind of, it still feels satisfying and I'm still glad I watched the movie and, it, you know, I'll watch it again. Again, this doesn't sink the movie. Because I like the rest of the movie so much, the fact that our, the whole movie's built around an utterly unlikable character hurts me. <laughs> like, it, 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 it bothers me. And it always has. I'm still going to fully endorse Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. But I'm going to say that... Uh, for me personally, and I, a lot of people don't have this reaction, it's flawed. See, and that, and the piece that, again, I see your flaw, but because for me, she's not the main character. The main character is Limu Bai and Shu Lien. Yeah. 
and their influence and their goodness and their choices and their honorable way of being, even though they're, they're hurting themselves right. by not being together for how many fucking years? I mean, it just, it speaks to an ancient honor that does not exist today. Spoiled brats, they're, they're all around. I hate her. Like, yeah. but, uh, so, um, just in terms of the fight scenes, um, I was, I did a little research on this one as well, just because I love it so much. And, um, at gradingfightscenes.com, he wrote the following, uh, it was a movie that really wanted to have it all. It was a serious dramatic film with heavy social themes, a mature romance and a coming of age story, all while still attempting to deliver the goods with fun and entertaining chop socky action. Not a... Th- not everything about it works perfectly, especially revisiting it nowadays, but for the most part it succeeds masterfully mixing the chocolate of high-minded art with the peanut butter of kick-ass action. I, this, for me, I'm like, yeah, it doesn't work all the way. Yeah. It doesn't work. But it works enough. It works really enough, and it had a high bar. Yeah. A really high bar on what it wanted to achieve. And to come that close... Well done. Yeah, it's ambitious, and I love it for it. I get frustrated, and there's another character that you and I can disagree with on this. But when you have a, a major, strong, kick-ass female character, and like I talked about in in Colombiana, the fact that she is reticent and immobile, like she will not be moved. No one fucking tells this girl what she's going to be and what she's going to do. That stubbornness is often confused for strength. The very same thing that women would hate a guy for in a movie. They love women for in a movie. It's strange, but it's true. (laughs) If you're a downtrodden woman in today's society and you're constantly acquiescing to whatever the men in your life want, I mean, those those choices are... I'll own those choices. (laughs) I made those choices and they made me unhappy. So as soon as they see another woman doing what she actually wants to do right. and not letting a man tell her what to do. That it's, beca- it's 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 a hero moment when it's really not because usually it has to come from this deep, dark place and it's twisted by that point. It's not a natural strength. It's nice to have strong beliefs that you're willing to, you know, go all the way for. But that alone, it, what those beliefs are should be your judgment of your character, not your ability to steadfastly refuse to hear the opposite point. Yeah. The incident that happened at the Two Pines Wedding Chapel that put this whole gory story into motion has since become legend. That woman deserves her revenge, and we deserve to die. killed a hell of a lot of people to get to this point and i am gonna kill bill before this tale of bloody revenge reaches its climax there's a few unanswered questions all right so kill bill volume two we're actually gonna see bill get get taken out spoilers (laughs) bill doesn't make it through the movie (laughs) um yeah this movie although it does take place immediately following obviously the the events preceding it is in sort of presentation texture and uh sort of pace very different than kill bill volume one 
although it's undeniably done by the same writer and it still has a lot of the same strengths and weaknesses it's like i think the kill with volume two was just over two hours right and volume one was barely 90 minutes um now that we get to the excited states as i like to call them we just sort of sit back on the porch stretch out and slowly ease our way into this last piece of revenge violence and in that way it's very helpful that it's two movies and not just one big epic one because i can't imagine watching kill bill volume one and that huge sort of bloody (laughs) sword fight battle at the end of part one to just suddenly have the brakes utterly slam down on the movie so completely that like the next hour of the movie is just butt numbing it would be (laughs) I think if you'd already watched an hour and a half of movie before you started Kill Bill Two, yeah. I think I think it would be punishing. So to that resolve, I think he was smart in splitting the movies into two halves. But I also think because it was not originally going to be two halves, that a lot of this sort of choices, these aesthetic choices, were done after the fact. I kind of feel like he retrofitted this sort of slower style in the second movie to distinguish it. And in doing that, hurt the movie. That's my opinion. Uh, the plot is, as ever, the same from Kill Bill Volume 1. There's still three more names on the list, but they're all in America. She's jumped a plane, she's on her native soil, and she continues checking names off the list. Where are you on Kill Bill Volume 2? I needed a blanket <laughs> and a pillow, and I could have been asleep in five minutes. It was such a snooze fest. I couldn't, I was like, I was bored. I was bored. Bored with the gore, bored with ripping out of eyeballs, bored with being buried alive, bored, bored, bored. I I didn't care at the end. Who the fuck cares if she gets her daughter back? Who the fuck cares that her name is Arlene? Why was this kept a secret? What (laughs) the fuck? (laughs) Annoyed and bored. (laughs) Okay. Well, I, I guess I wouldn't go so far as bored, but I would say that I found the sudden change of pace jarring and not in a good way. Tarantino frustrates and elates me because of his willingness to have a scene of dialogue that will run ten minutes. Hell, in uh, Inglorious Bastards, there's a scene in the basement of a church that takes almost a half an hour of the movie, and it's a bunch of people around the table talking to each other. Nobody can fucking get away with this in Hollywood except for Tarantino. And, you know, maybe people are like, oh, thank God, because I don't want a projected, protracted scene of dialogue like that, but I miss it. I come from a theater background, and uh, I like that, that he has the balls to let two characters sit there and talk to each other for that long. My problem is this Kill Bill franchise has established itself to not be that kind of movie. It's the sort of the difference between Pulp Fiction and Jackie Brown. Pulp Fiction's going at about 90 miles an hour through that whole movie. It's just getting to the next story and the next crazy scene. Whereas Jackie Brown just stretches itself out and eases into the bathtub and just sits there and lets you drink it in. Trying to do both of those things at once is untenable. It's an unsolvable riddle. So all you have to take you through those slow scenes are, let's get to this final showdown with Bill and the Bride. I see what you're saying with all of the other stuff about the movie taking its time too slow. I'll disagree about the eyeball thing. I thought that was fucking awesome. Well, but eh. <laughs> where I think the movie fails is 
Bill. And that's a pretty big fucking thing to drop the ball on since the whole two movies now is leading up to Bill. The fact that it is a conversation across the table for several pages involving the origin stories of Superman, where Bill, unlike and we've ever seen him anywhere else, anywhere in these series of movies, is more level-headed and even-keeled and seemingly sane to the point of even nice, right? It's like Tarantino wanted to have his cake and eat it too. He wanted us to love Bill before we killed him. And you can't spend two movies waiting to see the showdown and then have it be a conversation and a fight that lasts shorter than any of the other fights in the movie is not only not particularly climactic, but I would argue anticlimactic. That's where I think Kill Bill 2 fails. Actually, the episodic nature of it, some of the stories that you're talking about, her, her training slash physical abuse... And her punching her way out of being buried alive. And that very shocking showdown in the trailer between Michael Madsen, Daryl Hannah, and, and Uma Thurman. I thought, as themselves, and individual pieces were great and worked fine. But I don't know where they fit in the whole cohesive thing. And as much as I was having trouble with the pieces sliding around in Volume 1, Volume 2 has every problem that Volume 1 had, but much worse. But it doesn't have the momentum that Volume 1 did. Yep. Which kind of stings. Yep. There's, again, just like I said with the first movie, there's stuff that I really like about this, but it's hampered by stuff that I really don't like. And if the climax of a two-movie saga for revenge doesn't pay off, I don't think I can 100% call you successful. But I always go to the buds, you know? There are some amazing scenes to be found here as well. I do love that Elle is left with no eyes. This makes me happy. Elle is the bitchiest of all the people that she tri- that she needed to kill. Yeah. And she's left with no eyes. Yeah. That's great. I, I'm I'm happy with that. Um, I got the name wrong. It's Beatrix, kiddo, right? right? Like that's the name. Why are we hiding this? Like it makes no sense to me. There's no. It's just a fake hook to get you to come back. Mm-hmm. I, it's manipulative. Who likes to be manipulated like that? Movie so, audiences. So, but so openly. <laughs> yeah. Like he's mocking his audience. Tarantino is mocking his audience. He thinks he can shovel the shit. Yeah. And people will just eat it up. And mostly they and, do. And they do. He's not wrong. He's not wrong, which also bothers me immensely. But uh, pick a path. Basically, we find out that that. The whole crew, which she was the bride Uma Thurman was involved in. She killed lots of people. She was part of these bad guys. She is one of them, you know. But they're basically Fox Force 5, the TV show that he talks about in in Pulp Fiction. Basically, this is the, quote, real-world version of Fox Force 5. Mm -hmm. Uh, But if you're going to put your, you know, if your world is going to include that, like characters from a 1960s failed television series exist in our modern way, and people actually drive pussy wagons and then you're gonna try and go to pull on my heartstrings a little bit later on and and play real strong moral emotional notes no you can have one or not the other you can either you can either try to be teaching me something or you can be being stupid but if you're trying to do both uh, I I don't know that that's gonna work for you yeah and it didn't work for me it really (laughs) didn't this the second half I mean I, I I had some tragedy in my own life in between when I watched the first one and the second one. Right. So when you I went in a good headspace, I wasn't in a good that. headspace. So I had no 
patience for the bullshit that Tarantino was trying to pull over on me. I, I didn't have, I didn't want to deal with it mm-hmm. at that point. And um, that says a lot about how temperamental his movies are. At the same time, he, Tarantino wins. He wins. If, the, if, it's, if there's a competition, he's winning. Yeah. Because everybody's talking about it, whether they loved it or hated it. You know, Everybody's it, watched it, whether they loved it or hated it. Exactly. He wins. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like, I have a hard time just saying, no, Kill Bill is bad. But I also have an equally hard time saying, Kill Bill's good. Yeah. I would say, <laughs> don't watch Kill Bill. Don't waste your time. I would say that you, you probably will get around to watching Kill Bill because uh, people who are into movies enough to listen to a podcast about them are probably going to check out Kill Tarantino. Yeah. Sooner or later, you're going to find your way. It's like if you're serious about film and haven't watched a lot of Kubrick, it would just seem somehow kind of like you were faking it, right? Um, but this is not his best work and nowhere, nowhere near it. And that I would say confidently. I don't think enough bad can be said about the showdown between the bride and Bill. I really, really don't. Like, it, again, pick, pick, your, pick your villain, Tarantino. Is he an absolutely cold-hearted badass, which you establish at the beginning of the movie, when he shoots a pregnant woman who he was in love with in the fucking face? Or is he a family man who just wants things to work out? He doesn't, even, he doesn't apologize for what he did, but he basically said... Well, we were hired killers, and you broke my heart. Did what did you think I was gonna do? Okay, right? that's his explanation. Also, fatherhood changes a man. Don't even, <laughs> don't even go there and say it doesn't because it does. So the the complete change in character in him since he shot her is entirely plausible to me. Yeah, um, because of fatherhood yeah. and raising a kid. So that's there uh, for me, but. Other than that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. The fact that it, it was a conversation between them. Like, the, the, the big climactic moment was a conversation. In another movie, I would have thought that was kind of brilliant. Like, they spend all this time leading up to it, and then we have a fucking conversation? What? Uh, but that's not what this movie was, was about and what it wanted to be about. And she makes some sort of crazy kung fu move on him that makes his heart explode when he walks away. Like, yeah. that is just dumb. It and is... Anticlimactic. Actually, I love that part. The fact (laughs) that the teacher didn't teach Bill that, but he taught her because he saw that she had more honor (laughs) and would use it appropriately. Is that using it appropriately? I think so. Absolutely it is. It was revenge. I guess if revenge is appropriate. Uh, I don't know. Is it revenge when somebody, you know shoots you in the head and takes your kid <laughs> like is it pure revenge or is there some justice in there is that honorable to do that in an eye for an eye in the uh martial world where that training was taking place absolutely eye for an eye yeah um speaking of eye for an eye daryl hannah <laughs> <laughs> she was sort of like the the, the bitchiest of the oh, female assassins love to we, hate her we didn't like her right away and i have to say i've Sorry, Daryl Hannah. I've never been that impressed with you as an actress. But I thought you were pretty solid in these Kill Bill movies. And I really like that even though she was on the death list, she is not killed. Yep. She is defeated. Uh, I love this uh, sort of idea in the movie. Uh, we, we recently talked about Serenity in my podcast. I love that the villain of that movie was not killed in an elaborate explosion. He was defeated. 
like completely defeated <laughs> and that's where we end with that character and there's something really satisfying about her being left blind and screaming in this trailer that's got a poisonous snake slithering around inside it by the way <laughs> that's called the black mamba yeah <laughs> uh, no I, I, and i really did like that scene that setup when she was paying off michael madsen but there was a snake in the money and like yeah. that whole oh. sequence i thought was awesome um the but it was the only good part about this movie <laughs> <laughs> well but again i i kind of was amused although it seemed of another movie by her training where we go back in time and see her basically be subjected to three years of verbal and physical abuse by this guy who she inexplicably worships in spite of this consistently shitty behavior now apparently that character and i can't remember the name of off the top of my head is something that's kind of ubiquitous in in sort of a lot of japanese films that tr that sort of master character who's super hard but loved is is a, a thing mm -hmm. <laughs> and maybe if you, i had more background in that i would appreciate it more but in a way it just sort of seemed like a comic aside story well, by the way she got her training from this dude who was you know part ninja master part three stooges <laughs> yeah well but again if you take that training and give it to a male we are totally okay with it we would not call it abuse if it was happening to a male. That's true. I guess, you know, toughen up, huh? Yeah. <laughs> but I guess that's how she took it. Maybe like, uh, yeah, he may be slapping me because I'm not doing this right. And he may, you know, humiliate me and make me climb stairs all the time. But he's not treating me. He's not giving me, you know, he's not making me take, take off from the lady's tea. Yeah. Anyway, I mean, again, it's tough for me to land on this one. I'm like right down the middle on Kill Bill Volume 2. I will say I enjoy Kill Bill 1 more than I enjoy Kill Bill 2. Yes. Um, but I think it's problematic as a complete piece anyway. And as two separate pieces, you have one side that is noticeably better than the other. So, yeah, it's kind of a tough one. It'll be weird to rank. Is there anything else you want to say about Kill Bill before we rank these movies? Nope. Thank you so much, Susie, for doing this. I really do appreciate you being here. And again, I'm going to apologize for all the bad movies that I sent home with, with your with your husband. <laughs> I do have to say, though, you have not used this as a proper platform to shit talk Jeremy. <laughs> I got, <laughs> you got a few digs in here. I did, there. but, you know, there's that whole thing where I love him and I actually do respect him quite Whoa, a bit. That's so, so weird. <laughs> I'm a J. Adrian Cook fan as well, I guess. <laughs> Although his taste in movies is fucked. I know, right? <laughs> anyway, um, of these six Lady Killers movies, what was your least favorite and why? <laughs> Kill Bill Volume 2. There you go. I just, I mean, yeah. It was bad. Not just bland, like some of the others, but it was just bad. Hmm. Well, there it is. <laughs> it's six plays. Okay. And uh, in fifth place was uh, Columbiana mm -hmm. for its uh, lack of substance. A uh, little bit, of, but mostly pretty. <laughs> but, yeah. And then in fourth was Kill Bill Volume 1. In the end, you know, 
what I loved and hated and the squirminess and all of that stuff, I don't like that in my movies. I don't. It's a good, it's nice to talk about. Mm -hmm. It's a Tarantino win, but it's not what does it for me. Right. Okay. Um, uh, in third place, uh, Wanted. Only because I love Angelina Jolie did it rank so high. <laughs> um, she is indeed very wanted. <laughs> I once made a friend a, a golf towel with very provocative pictures on, of her on it, and he was asked to turn it inside out at the club. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, number two, Princess Mononoke. Um, uh, just uh, the ending that terminalness of it where it just couldn't seem to end itself but I mean, didn't do it for me and that's the only thing that I can say about it um, and Crouching Tiger Hidden Dragon um, is my top just it had it chocolate and peanut butter dude so good so just for the cheap seats your sixth place was volume two fifth was Columbiana mm -hmm. fourth was volume one mm -hmm. third was Wanted Second was Mononoke, and first was Crouching Tiger? Yes. Congratulations, we have gone zero for six. Oh, <laughs> nice! You will be receiving a prize today. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. We don't have to agree on these 100%. I think that we agreed enough with this that we're still going to part friends today. <laughs> um, yes, well... For me, I put Colombiana in sixth place. I think it's just guilty of not doing anything to present itself as something memorable. Like, I was straining to remember plot points while we were reviewing the movie, and I've seen the movie twice now. Like, it, it's every action movie you've ever seen, only it's got Zoe Saldana. And if you like some Zoe Saldana, by all means. But it's not distinguishing itself at all. In fifth place, I'm sorry is where I put Angelina Jolie and Wanted. Because it is dumb and beautiful. And it is both dumb and beautiful. It is both of those things. And you know what? Sometimes I want that. Sometimes I will say, you know what? I want to watch The Rock tonight. Don't judge me, okay? <laughs> but uh, th this is one of those. And as such, I can say it's enjoyable, but it's not going to rank high on the list for me. In fourth position, Kill Bill Volume 2. There is enough cool things in it. That I do think, in, a, in the end, I guess I'm saying it's worth the journey with the Kill Bill movies because of the good in it, but I drop the caveat every time. I like Kill Bill, you might not. And the, the weird thing is, is that I like and hate Kill Bill scene to scene, but I've seen it a few times through, and I probably will watch it again someday. So, it's got value. <clears throat> uh, in third place, I put Kill Bill Volume 1 because it is, as I said, better than Kill Bill Volume 2. <laughs> In second place, and I guess I knew this was going to be controversial, <laughs> Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. I, I just really, really think it's... I guess you don't have to like the main character. If I knew that this movie was a tragedy and it, it felt like it was like some sort of Shakespearean progression of events that inevitably led her to her own defeat... But I don't feel like she learned anything. That's the real thing. Even if she was that much of a C-word through the whole movie, and at the end of the movie she had the revelation and, and owned it in some way to me, I might have let it fly. But I was happy that she killed herself. And I really don't think that's what the filmmakers were going for. <laughs>
in the first place, Princess Mononoke, because it's beautiful and it's ambitious. And uh, I think, like, on a story and presentation level, just way beyond anything else that we have listed here. And that's saying something, considering how gorgeous Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon is. The most impressive compliment that I can pay this movie and Miyazaki, the director, is that this is not his best movie. <laughs> like, I do think he's made a couple better than Princess Mononoke, but I think Mononoke is substantially better than everything else on this list. And that's where I washed up on it. And I'm sorry. Because <laughs> I'm a big dumb man. <laughs> so this is like the, the battle of the sexes persists. We agree, and yet we manage to completely disagree. <laughs> this list of movies but the good news is is you're the now the proud owner of the Shia LaBeouf Transformers trilogy (laughs) thank you so much for this enjoy enjoy that drink it in that's hours of entertainment Hours of entertainment. I'm going to have to watch this over and over again. (laughs) So, you've won. Thanks, Larry! (laughs) Thanks for being here, Susan. I loved it. I sure had a lot of fun with that episode, and I hope you guys did too. Thanks again to Susie. Uh, She was a great guest, and you will be hearing her again. So uh, we look forward to that. Uh, Once again, I would like to thank everybody for listening. And once again, I would just like to ask you, if there's another movie nerd in your life who would enjoy this podcast, just spread the word to them, because uh, that's what makes it worthwhile, knowing that there's people listening. Please send your feedback to rankandreview at gmail.com. Seek us out on Facebook and on iTunes, and check out the website at rankandreview.ca. This is your host and random Canadian Larry Parsons saying, until next time.